0: Good morning, church. Please stand to your feet today as we head into the Word of God. I'm so excited to see you all. Uh, I believe that today is a good day to renew my mind, to encourage my soul, align with truth, and walk in faith. Amen. I'm so glad that you're here. We're going to have a good time together. Last week... I talked about the nine end time wars. How many were here for that? Good. Good. Um, there was actually an overwhelming response to that sermon last week. I enjoyed it. I I am passionate about the end times. And so when the world events unfolded Saturday morning, I had no problems pivoting uh, to, to discuss it on Sunday morning. Um, I know... Some pastors are discussing it this morning in other uh, regions, but I just couldn't wait. I couldn't push it off another week. I just was excited. And, and I had such an overwhelming response. Many of you all throughout the week have been texting, asking how to watch it again, uh, asking questions. Our Facebook video actually has four times the amount of views than the general sermon uh, that we post. So the world needed to hear it. I don't know whatever you've done to create such a response, but it worked. Um, and today I, I'm starting a new series, and it's called Because You Asked. And we've been harvesting questions this entire year, and you've, you've submitted some really good questions, and we're going to discuss those over the next several weeks. But I figured, since we're in the middle of the situation, you've asked some questions about Israel And the situation that we talked about last week, the sermon last week. So I want to circle back, if that's okay today, circle back to last week's sermon, not re-preach it, but I'm going to answer all the questions that came in this week uh, so that we can just kind of lay that, lay that to rest, put it for a nap, and then next week we'll come back and hit some other questions that you have. So I'm going to dive a little deeper into this topic, answering your questions, helping you understand the times that we're in, and what's on the horizon prophetically. What the Bible says is on the horizon. Today's going to be a fun day for me. Um, The title of my sermon today is Prophetic Hope. Prophetic Hope, because I know that sometimes when we say the word in times, it can create a bit of tension and stress in some individuals, Right? Not me. Like, I love it. As I see the world events unfold, I get giddy and happy and I run to my Bible and I'm just like journaling all about it and recording timelines. I love it, but I, I do understand that it can be a topic that can create some apprehension. Can we all just agree that that's a potential? And so I want to remind us today, not of a timeline, but of a hope of a hope that you and I have. No matter what comes our way, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Titus 2.13 tells us that we are waiting on our blessed hope. Our blessed hope. The return, the glorious appearing of Jesus is called our blessed hope, not our blasted hope. (laughs) Not our dreaded hope, our blessed hope. Jesus is going to be coming again at some point. I'm confident in my lifetime, in your lifetime, um, and I'm also confident that you and I are not going to receive the wrath of God. As we talk about end times, we often are talking about and pointing to the wrath that God is going to pour out on the world, but First Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us that you are not appointed to wrath. Look at your neighbor and say, Amen. Right? God said that. Not, not Trey, not your pastor, not your best friend. God says you are not appointed to wrath. And the truth is, God already poured his wrath out on his son. When Jesus went to the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on him so that it would not be poured out on you. And the Holy Spirit that is indwelling you right now, if you're a born again believer of Jesus Christ, you are, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, God will not pour his wrath out on Holy Spirit. So there must be a catching away of all that contains the Holy Spirit before the wrath of God can be poured out. This, my friends, is good news. So I want to talk to you about prophetic hope and the times that we're living in. Are you ready? Let's go to our text, Luke chapter 12, verse 54 through 56. Jesus is talking to the crowd's And he says, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? You know how to tell when the rain is coming. You know how to tell when the heat wave is rolling in or the sandstorm that's rolling in through the Jordan. But you don't understand that the first coming of the Messiah is here. You see, they had all the biblical prophecy they would ever need to know that that was the timing of Jesus' advent. And they just didn't see it. Lord, let us be a church that sees his soon coming and appearing. Let us not be found in the group who could tell when the rain was coming, could tell when the heat was coming, but couldn't tell when our Messiah was on his way. Prophetic hope, Father in Jesus' name, I come before you today. God, I just thank you. God, I thank you that there is nothing on planet Earth that catches you by surprise. There is nothing that doesn't sift through the hands of our creator. God, I ask that you would allow us to be found faithful in trusting you in this season, in every season. God, in this sermon today, in this talk today, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and courage to stand. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say amen. Before you sit down, why don't you fist bump two or three people, say hi, get them talking, ask them what they're having for lunch. Thanks, Nolan. I can't see you, but I recognize that voice. <laughs> Nolan, is everyone seated? Because I can't see a thing with these, these. I do see some lights right here, um, right in front of me. How many of you wore these glasses yesterday? Okay. How many of you are now uh, having an eye injury because you didn't wear the glasses yesterday? Anyone? Did, did you like the eclipse? I love I love the eclipse. It's called a uh what a ring of fire eclipse and uh which is kind of exciting, you know, when well gosh, I could get on a tangent really quick that there's a, a ring of fire eclipse right now uh in the month of October when we sense that something is coming and ring of fire is a term that is used in the delivery of a child just before the baby is born the the ring of fire is the pressure uh, that a woman feels as the head begins to crown. And uh, I believe that Revelation 12 talks about a baby that's going to be born and be caught up in the air. And I believe that uh, the bride of Christ, the sons and daughters are soon going to be revealed on planet earth. And uh, anyway, so I I love these glasses. I was watching the eclipse multiple times. I was driving with my wife, and so I would pull over every few minutes trying to catch a glimpse, and we went to a nursery, and we went to a different parking lot behind a store, and then I had to turn the car around because neither she nor I wanted to get out of the car. So I would turn for the right angle for her to see it, and then I would turn the car for me to see it. And then we would continue on. We were trying to get home and just would pull over to, to see it. I did... Honestly, if I'm being honest, I did look at it a couple of times without the glasses. I yeah, And I still can see. So I don't know if that's a myth or not. But I just looked at it really close and looked away. My eyes started burning. And I realized, I realized that I needed the glasses to see. And so today I'm asking you to put on your end time prophecy glasses. To see the things that the world can't see. Because when we look through the lens of Bible prophecy, things start to make sense. When we look through the lens of the world, or whatever contemporary news outlets are saying, or whatever we happen to be reading on our X feed, or Facebook feed, or whatever it is that you follow, if we just look through the world's perspective, it looks like the world is falling apart. I mean, it has looked like that since 2020. Can I get an amen from everybody in the room? It's only getting worse. The world is only feeling like it's getting worse, but when you put on your end-time glasses and you understand through Bible prophecy that this isn't actually catching God by surprise one bit, and every player of the end-time who thinks he's going to rule or he's going to accomplish X, Y, and Z, he's really doing exactly what God has already said he's going to do. And so today, I... I want to answer your questions based on last week's topic and, and just help us all to watch this through the lens of the fact that Jesus has it all in control. He does. All right, you ready for the first question? The first question, uh, pretty, pretty easy to answer. I think I answered it fairly well last week, but I'll just reiterate. The question is, why is Israel so important Why not Waco? Why not New Jersey? I mean, New Jersey is the size of Israel. So, so why does the whole world care about this nation that is the size of New Jersey? I mean, shouldn't we be caring, ca- caring about more significant nations like China, America, America? heck even Australia like shouldn't we care about something more significant than a than a nation the size of New Jersey well I'll tell you why Israel is important Israel is important and I'm going to keep this answer short and brief today I'm not going to go into too much detail if you weren't here last week go back and and watch that I gave it I think some good meat on the bones for you to think about and consume but I'll say it like this Israel is God's timepiece You want to know what God is doing in the world? You want to know where we are in in the history of humankind? Look at Israel. Think of it like this. Israel, the, the nation of Israel is the hour hand. Jerusalem is the minute hand. And the temple mount is the second hand. And so you will watch these three things unfold, and it helps you understand where we are in the timing Um, I mentioned last week, and I'm just going to say it one more time because this is the most important reason why Israel matters. God chose Israel to be his sermon illustration. I use this for a sermon illustration today so that maybe you would get the point that you need to put on some in-time glasses rather than looking through your own human philosophy and perspective. That was an illustrated sermon God's illustration in his sermon of life is Israel. He uses Israel to prove to the world that God is real. That's why God defends Israel, not because he likes their accent, not because he likes the Hebrew language, though I think maybe we're all going to be speaking Hebrew in in eternity. Hebrew is one of the only languages that does not have any profane, profane words in it at all. If you grow up in Jerusalem, I'm I'm told this uh, by a family member here in the church. He grew up in Israel, and he didn't know any swear words because Hebrew doesn't have swear words. So to swear, he had to learn other languages. Um, But I love the Hebrew language. But guess what? That's not why God protects Israel, because it has a clean language. Who cares? It's not because they're pretty people. Wealthy people, wise people, none of that. He protects Israel so that he can make himself known. God made a promise that he was going to protect them and he's going to stick to his promise. Now listen, Malachi 3.6 says this, For I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. The day that you see Israel consumed is the day that God changes. This is why we break historical records and we have a people returning to their homeland not once, but twice with the same language and same culture and they're brought from the ends of the earth not because they're resilient and they are resilient. They're wonderful people. But because God is God. And God said, I will not allow this nation to be consumed as long as I sit on the throne. As long as there are stars in the sky, as long as there is air to breathe, I will not allow Israel to be consumed. So you can take this to the bank. No matter what wars break out from now to the end of the age, Israel will never be consumed. And it's not because Israel is so moral. It's not because Israel is God's favorite. It's because God has a covenant with Abraham and God is using Israel as his sermon illustration so that the world knows God still reigns. That's why Israel is important. Now, you, you can say, I, I heard someone this week ask the question, when you say I stand with Israel, what, is, what are you meaning by that? Are you standing with political Israel Are you standing with spiritual Israel? Are you standing with the morality of Israel? Are you standing with the land of Israel? When you say I stand with Israel, what does that mean? Because it means a whole lot. And I thought about that and I thought that's really a brilliant question. But to answer it, I have to go to the word. And I found that when God stands up for Israel, God doesn't separate political Israel or land Israel or moral Israel or governmental Israel. God stands up for Israel. Now, that also means that God punishes Israel. (laughs) He holds them accountable for certain things. So when I say I stand up for Israel, that doesn't mean that I think Israel makes all the right decisions. It doesn't mean that I think we shouldn't vote against something that they're trying to push through because, hey, God is for Israel. I think that Healthy discourse and dialogue is, is great in a nation, but when it comes to nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, we all need to understand God is standing for Israel. I personally like to be on the winning team. Now that sometimes hurts, like yesterday, Texas A&M, Tennessee. I'm still rooting for my Aggies, Paul we were so close, so, so close, but the devil was strong <laughs> yesterday. Israel is important. Can I, can I settle that question and move to the next one? The next one, did the church replace Israel? Oh, that's a great question. I won't spend but just a minute on this. There is something known as replacement theology. Replacement theology, I won't go as far to call it heresy, though many do, most probably do call it heresy, but I'm not calling it heresy. But I want you to understand what replacement theology is and where it came from. Uh, Replacement theology was introduced to the church shortly after Gentile leadership took over from the Jewish leadership. So Jesus built the tribe of twelve, And then they grew up in the upper room, and they had all of these leaders joining. And at some point, it transitioned from Jewish leadership, so Jewish roots that got saved and found in Jesus, the disciples. It transitioned into Gentile leadership. Gentile means not Jew. So most of us in the room are not Jew. Do I have any Jewish people in the room? Oh, very proudly, yes. Yes, Honey, come on, we just found out you're 1%. You better wave that hand because I am blessed and I love you so much. Just, right there, she's 1%. We're counting that. God is going to bless us. Well, when the, when the Jewish leadership turned into Gentile leadership, and then around 70 A.D., Jerusalem was destroyed. When Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D., somewhere around 85, 90 to 100 A.D., so that's like AD, 30 years after it's destroyed, they started looking around, all the leaders of the born-again church, saying, how can all these promises to Israel make any sense? There is no Israel. It's been destroyed. There is no rock left on another. It's been demolished. So to make any sense of the scripture, and I get it, I understand some of the... the renowned forefathers and theologians of the first century, second century, third century leaned into this because they thought it was impossible for there to be ever an Israel that had a promise made to it. Does this make sense to you? It seems logical. They began to interpret the Bible based on their experience rather than interpret their experience based on the Bible. So that's where we get replacement theology. According to replacement theology, um, after Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the term Israel found all throughout the Bible refers to the church, not to Israel. Um, they would say that the Jews are no longer the chosen people, that the church is the chosen people. They're no different than any other national group. Um, they would say the Jews are no different than the English, than the French, than the Spanish. It's just a group of people. Um, but then 1947 happened. So 70 A.D. and then 1947. Someone do the math and tell me that that duration. Ish. Okay. Like 1870. Yeah. So 1900 for 1900 years there was no Israel, and the the thought of the day for 1900 years was that. The church got all the promises for Israel. But then 1947 caught everybody by surprise. Israel in a day became a nation. And suddenly all the Bible scholars who thought they knew everything had to reevaluate what they thought they knew. Because now there's actually an Israel that the promises apply to. And so we learn from that point forward that yes, God still chose the Jews, and he's still protecting them today. Think about this. May 14th, 1947, they were established as a nation in one day. May 15th, in one day, they were attacked by several nations. Didn't even have an army. They were 24 hours old as a nation, and they still won. Tell me God is not fighting for them. 1967, Six-Day War. Then in 1973, we have Yom Kippur. So many times God is over and over and over protecting his people. 2021, there was an 11-day war. They ended up cease firing and kicked that can down the road. I think we see the fruit of that now that's happening. How many days? We're eight or nine days into this current war in Israel. I don't know what all is going to develop, but I will tell you this. God has always and he will always fight for Jerusalem. So the church matters, but so does Israel. Replacement theology would want you to believe that the church replaces Israel, and it's just not true. And can I just tell you, there is a really, if you look in the Old Testament, am I talking too fast? Because sometimes when I talk about, baby, you have to tell me if I'm talking too fast, because sometimes when I talk in times, I just start rambling and going fast because I get excited. In the Old Testament, there are so many foreshadowings of the rapture and the church and Israel, it's, it's amazing. Go back this week and read the story of Jacob, Leah, and Rachel, all right? This is a type and a shadow of Jesus, the church, and Israel, all right? Who did Jesus come for? When Jesus showed up, he came for the lost house, lost tribe of Israel, all right? He came to win Israel. Israel rejected him. They knew not his own. Then Stephen was stoned. Thankfully, Stephen, you got stoned. I'm sorry you went through that, but because you got stoned, the message then went to the Gentiles and the church are now grafted in. And Jacob wanted the younger sister. He he wanted the younger sister. He went to Laban and was working for the younger sister. He got married to who he thought was Rachel. And they do the married thing and wake up the next morning and he realizes I wasn't given the one I wanted. I was given the other sister. So he goes to his uncle and says, I, I want the other one. And he says, you have to work another seven years for Rachel. He was given Leah. He wanted Rachel. He got Leah. had to work another seven years for Rachel. Jesus came for Israel, got us, loves us, we're still cute, still wants us. It's all right. Don't get offended that he he loved the other one more. It's just we're the older sister. The church is the older sister. The Jews are going to be the younger sister, right? Because they're going to come to know him last. Jesus still has seven years to work for the other sister. He's got us, and there's a, a point where he's going he's to rapture us, and he's going to take that seven years to fight for Israel and to win Israel to his heart. So the question is, did the church replace Israel? You can boldly say no. No, it didn't. All right, next question. Uh, could this war become the war of Gog and Magog or Gog and Magog? Anyone wonder that? This week, you've been watching this unfold. You've been wondering, could this current war become the war of Gog and Magog? Last week, I talked about nine end-time wars. If you weren't here, uh, you'll have to go back and listen to that for this all to make sense, I suppose. But the war of Gog and Magog, there's actually two of them. There's one that's going to happen towards the beginning of the tribulation or before the tribulation. You can find that in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And this war that we're currently seeing in Israel is looking like it potentially could become Ezekiel 38 war. And the question, again, is could this war become the war of Gog and Magog? Go with me. Let's read about this war real quick so you can look at it through end time eyes and know who all the key players are. Let's read Ezekiel 38. I'm going to walk you through this war very quickly. Ezekiel 38, verse 3 through 6. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out, and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Persia, Cush, Put. Are with them, Persia is Iran. Cush is Ethiopia. Put is Libya. Persia, Cush, Put are with them. All of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his hordes. Beth Togarma from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes. Many peoples are with you. So we see here in the opening story of Gog and Magog, there are going to be armies from the north. Armies from the south and armies from the east. I had to do that. Never eat slimy worms. Sorry. From the east. Okay. Then we jump down to verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, On that day thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates, to see spoil and carry off plunder. This is the motive of why Israel is going to get invaded by these nations, to see spoil and carry off plunder. To turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited and the people who were gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell at the center of the earth. Sheba and Dedan, that's Saudi Arabia, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish, Tarshish and all its leaders will say, have you come to see spoil? Have you assembled your host to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to seize great spoil? You will come up against my people. I think that's verse 15. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days, I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me. When through you, O God, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. This is the purpose. Everyone wants to know what is the purpose of the war. It's right here in Ezekiel 38 verse 16. I will bring you against my land. He's going to put a hook in the jaws of the leaders to the north. To the leaders of Russia, the leader of Turkey. He's going to put a hook in their jaw, drag them down into Israel. God is going to bring them into a battle. And the question is why? Why is he doing that? So that the nations may know my name. God is going to prove himself God there in Israel. How does the war end? Let's read that, verse 18 and 19. But on that day, the day... Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God. My wrath will be roused in my anger. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. I will summon a sword. Sorry, verse 21. I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. So he's going to create confusion in the armies. They're going to turn on each other with pestilence, so some kind of disease outbreak among the troops, and bloodshed, I will enter into judgment with him, and I will rain upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him torrential rains and hailstones. So it looks like maybe there's going to be a meteor shower of some sort whenever these armies all come together to fight Israel. Uh, Maybe there's going to be some kind of volcanic eruption that happens because what is going to rain on them is fire and sulfur. I don't want to sign up for that army. Verse 23, so I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Okay, that's the battle of Gog and Magog. There are five primary nations that we're going to be watching as the time develops. Uh, You could watch Russia in this evasion. I don't know if it's Putin or not. I wouldn't be so cavalier as to say that he is Gog. I would not say he's the leader. Um, The leader of Russia will be Gog. I just don't know if Putin will be the leader when this war comes to pass. Uh, But the leader of Russia will have a hook put in his jaw, and he will be dragged down into Israel um, with Turkey, with Iran and Libya, northern Sudan, and the nations, nations of Central Asia. So that's who we're watching for Gog and Magog. So the question was, is this war the Gog-Magog war? The answer is not yet. We don't see these nations involved right now. We see Hamas, which is a terrorist organization uh, that was voted in into the government of uh, Palestinian people, the the terrorists, you know the news and the actions on that. We see that fight. We see from the north, Hezbollah. Hezbollah, if they get involved fully, that's going to be something really you want to watch because they have way more fighting power than Hamas does. Hezbollah is going to be a big deal. I saw this morning um, that Israel is continuing to bomb Lebanon. And Syria, as we speak right now, trying to take out targets, terrorists, and the capabilities um, of Hezbollah. Then on the east, over in Jordan, we have the Islamic Jihadists. We have the Houthis. There are several proxies of Iran all around Israel that are being paid and supported by Iran to bring down Israel. Um, That's what we currently see. That doesn't match Gog and Magog. But what if, what if when those enemies are destroyed, that is the hook that is put in the jaw that brings in the other nations to get involved? We don't know. Something to watch. Um, I will also say it's not Gog and Magog because America is helping. America is helping Israel right now. We've sent, uh, we've sent ships there. We've sent troops there. The presence of troops in Israel is pretty heavy right now from what I'm hearing on the ground there Um, so America is helping in the battle of Gog and Magog only God will defend Israel not America so for it to transition into Gog and Magog America has to be neutralized Now I don't know what that means in the context of Bible prophecy I just know that I'm his no matter what it means for America to be neutralized I am still a son of the king I I don't know if we decide. I initially thought, can I just tell you the T on my original thoughts? I originally thought, America, we we have just been taking our hands off of Israel for so long. When they get in trouble, we're just not going to help them. That's why we're not in the Bible prophecy. I was quite shocked, to be honest, to see the, the president so willing to help Israel. Happy. I love it. God bless him. I'm happy for that decision. But it did make me wonder, what's next, Lord? Because I know that America won't be helping Israel in the final war. Um, so how will America be neutralized? Could it potentially be an EMP? Could it be our communications are taken down? Um, could it be that we, we find other reasons not to help? We become persuaded by other means. I don't know. Uh, but we're not yet in Gog and Magog. If ever America pulls out of helping Israel... We are closer to Gog and Magog. Here's the other thing. Um, Damascus has not yet been leveled. Isaiah 17.1 says, Behold, Damascus will cease to be a city and will become a heap of ruins. Got into a little debate with a friend of mine who retired military. He and I went to high school together and he tried to convince me that Damascus is already a heap of ruins. He's been there multiple times. And I said, Oh, I... I understand that. It's totally, it's poverty, it's demolished, it's trash. I get it. But the Bible says it's going to be uninhabitable. It will cease to be a city. It didn't say it was just going to be a low-grade city. It said it's going to cease to be a city. That tells me that chances are high that at some point in a war, the Damascus is going to find a nuke on its front porch. And it's going to be flattened. So when I think of the war, I pray often for the people of Damascus. There are God-fearing, loving, wonderful people in Damascus. I pray for them often, but that's not actually who I worry about. I worry about the people that don't yet know him. The people that if that were to happen, as Bible prophecy says, it's going to, they will spend eternity in hell. That should be our focus and our concern. I believe that Damascus will probably be destroyed. This is just my opinion. Don't take it to the bank because that check won't be cashed. My opinion is that Damascus will be destroyed before Gog and Magog happen. In fact, that bomb could be the hook that brings Putin in. Um, I I I say that it's not currently Gog and Magog, but I do believe it very easily could be heading in that direction Yesterday I saw an article. I brought a picture. Were we able to get that picture? I saw this and chills went all over me. It says, Iran warns Israel of huge earthquake, hence Hezbollah ready to join the fight. Now Iran is is warning Israel of a huge earthquake, and their justification is when we unleash Hezbollah, it's going to shake your world. That's That's what they mean. That's what they're talking about. Like, get ready for Hezbollah, yo. It's going to be a great earthquake. But when I saw the word great earthquake, I was like, wait a minute. I've seen those words. Went back to Ezekiel 38 verse 19. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare, on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. And I thought, Iran thinks it's going to unleash the great earthquake. But our Lord is going to unleash the great earthquake. Why is this war different was another question that I got. I just have two more questions. I'm going to push through them. Why is this war different? Conflict has been going on for decades between Israel and Hamas and Hezbollah and the Houthis and Iran proxies. Why is this different? For 70 years, there's been conflict. Well, I will tell you, this is different because for the first time in 70 years that I'm aware of, all the countries of the world are evacuating their citizens right now from Israel. There has been conflict for 70 years. And there's also been tours and tour guides and people going to see the tomb and people going to see the Sea of Galilee. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're doing business. It's not business as usual right now. Every nation is sending planes to get their citizens out of Israel because they recognize this is not the same. It's different. In fact, the people of Israel, at first they were calling it the 9-11 of Israel, like our 9-11. But then somebody decided to do the math and realized that proportionally, when looking at the numbers, what happened to Israel eight days ago would be equivalent to 11 of our 9-11s. So it's no longer called the 9-11. They're calling it the second Holocaust. This war is different. This war is different because of the convergence of the signs. The end times, by the way, for those of us that get nervous about end time discussion, let me just ease your mind and say this. You've lived, your entire life has been the end times. The end times began in 1947. So you've been doing good so far. Hang in there. Right? All the signs are converging right now, like never before. Famines, pestilence, wars, rumors of wars. The nations are aligned prophetically like the Bible says they're going to be aligned. You do realize when Israel became a nation in 1947, they were friends with Iran. They were friends. Even though the Bible said that Persia was going to try to take them out, they began their nation as friends, but now all the nations are aligned just as they need to be for the final days. The third temple needs to be built for Bible prophecy, not for you and I. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple. We don't need the temple. We're not, we're not going to worship in the temple except for the millennium. We'll go there and be a part of the temple there, but the Bible needs the temple for end-time prophecy. The third temple is ready to be built, This war is different because of the seven-day creation. You know, God created the heavens and the earth in seven days. And 2 Peter tells us that one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. And if God created the heavens and the earth and he rested on the seventh day, human history will be in 6,000 years and we will all together rest on the 7,000 year. Did that make sense? 6,000 years of human history. Then the millennium will be on the 1,000 years. Number seven represents day seven. Well, Jesus came on day four. Before Jesus came is approximately 4,000 years of history before him. Jesus came, gave his life. He said on day three, I'll rise again. Day three, I'll be back. Day three, day one. Day two, day three. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus has come, approximately, give or take. He was crucified anywhere, scholars disagree on this, anywhere between 28 AD and 32 AD. At, at the furthest, 32. If, if he was crucified at 32, I personally believe, I won't tell you what I believe, it doesn't matter. If it was at 32 AD, then 2,000 years later would be 20, 32 So in 2032 would be the day that Jesus says he's coming back. But then if you were to subtract whatever time of tribulation that happens, I don't know where that puts us or where we land. I'm just saying that time is running short, church. Jesus is coming back soon. Lawlessness is the sign of the end. A one world economy is a sign of the end. Being a cashless society is a sign of the end. All of this has been ramping up in the last three years with a feverish pitch going faster and faster and faster. A one world government is a sign of the end. Technology has to be right where it's at today to be considered the end times. The Bible said 2,500 years ago that there would come a day when something happens to people in Jerusalem and it's instantly seen all over the world. The Bible prophesied satellite. The Bible prophesied FaceTime. The Bible prophesied youtube videos and the technology that we have and we are there that's why this war is different but i will say this this war could end in a ceasefire and they could just kick the can down to deal with it another time but there's no denying this is something that you and i need to watch next question i know you're all wondering this question should i prep Pastor, what do I do? Should I prep? Well, let me just tell you, if I could, I I love prepping so much. You can't love the end times and not love prepping, okay? I wanted to create a YouTube channel called Pastor Prepper. I never did it. I never did it, but I thought I'd be good at it. Should I prep? Well, I do believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, which means that Jesus is going to come and receive us before the tribulation. I believe the Bible is very clear about that. Um, If you are a mid-trib believer, that means you believe Jesus is coming in the middle. Or you are a post-trib believer, that means he's coming at the end. Uh, You probably lean more into prepping than many pre-tribbers. I like being a pre-tribber that preps, though. Because if I'm wrong, I still got spam. But I, I really, honestly, quite, I'm, I am just sure of a pre trib rapture. But here, here's the thing we need to all understand that doesn't mean that we won't experience hardship, destruction. Chaos, civil unrest, America could fall before Jesus comes back. I'm not suggesting that it is. I'm saying that it could. The Bible promised to rescue us from tribulation, like the end of the, Jacob's trouble. When God shifts his time from the church to Jacob, he don't need us anymore. That's why he's calling us out. He's going to focus on Jacob. But we could all still go through some very perilous times. So should you prep? Well, think about the snow apocalypse. Think about the great toilet paper shortage from panic buying of 2020. Think of natural disasters, supply chain disruptions. Yes, prep, prep, but don't prep out of fear. Prep because you are someone that is wise. You're planning for the future. You're planning not just to take care of yourself, but to be a blessing to other people. That's why I'm not afraid to tell you that I prep. You come knock on my door, you're going to get some of it. I'm going to give you some. That's, that's why I prep. Now, at some point, I don't know if I could feed all of you. So we need some more preppers in the room. Proverbs 6 says go to the ant oh sluggard consider her ways and be wise the ant stores up food planning for when there is no food prepping is biblical joseph joseph prepped for 7 years he pulled in the grain during years of plenty because he knew 7 years of famine was coming prepping is biblical i i know christians that are so oversaved they're like you don't prep that's lack of faith i just trust god well that's great but what if god wanted me to buy spam water rice like let's be wise and diligent and plan and uh, i don't understand why in proverbs 6 this is a side note man i just need to get off my chest do you realize every time the bible talks about wisdom it calls it a her Listen to your wives. Listen to your wives. That will preach. But it'll also run men away. So I'm moving on. So yeah, prep, prep. I think you should prep. I think every family in this church should have two to four weeks worth of water and food. To At least, as a minimum. You need water. You never know when our water supply is going to go down something's going to be wrong with it you just never know every believer in jesus needs to have (laughs) never mind i was going to take it too far but you need two to four weeks of water and food i believe that that's biblical the ants do it joseph did it you should as well so should i prep yes do it just don't do it out of fear don't do it out of fear and the truth is if a crisis happens before you prep before you've had the time God is still going to take care of you. You might lose some weight. You might be hungry. Some of you are like, yes, Lord. You might be thirsty, but God will take care of you. And then the final question, I'll leave you with this today because I'm, I'm done. Someone asked me, how should I respond? What, what do I do? I'm looking at the world. How should I respond? This is my advice to you. You ready? Stay prayerful in all that you do. Spend more time in prayer than you spend in complaining. Spend more time in prayer than you do in gossip. Spend more time in prayer than you do watching the news. Stay prayerful. Then stay informed. Don't just pretend like the world's not crazy. The world is crazy. The, the sooner you recognize it, the less you'll be injured by it. Stay aware. When I pray for people that I don't know, when I go downtown and I'm praying for people that look a little sketchy, a little sus, I pray for them with my eyes open. I don't, oh, Jesus, bless it. No. That ain't happening. I'm going to trust Jesus and pray with my eyes open. If you're ever up here, I'm usually watching you when I'm praying for you. In your case, I don't think you're crazy. I just want to see what Holy Spirit is doing on you. That's that's the reason I do that. But we need to stay informed, keep our eyes open, what's going on in the world. Don't pretend like the world's not crazy. It's crazy. But we're still okay. Someone asked me, Pastor, how do you stay informed? What are the new sources you go to? Can I share those with you? I like allisrael.com. A-L-L, Israel. Israel, Israel Allisrael.com. It's good sourcing for articles. Uh, You can dig deep to see where the articles come from and verify it's factual. Um, No telling what you're going to get on just... Mainstream media. I'm not trying to knock mainstream media. We have church members that work for mainstream media, and I thank God that they're planted there. We need people with integrity in in those systems, but I just don't get my news all my news from there. All is AllIsrael.com is a good source. RosenbergReport.tv is good. That's R-O-S-E-N-B-E-R-G Report.tv. I also learn a lot from Amir Safadi on on a Telegram. I'm gonna spell his name. If you don't follow him, you must follow him. This bug is about to die. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I just had to. He went to heaven. Amir Sarfati on Telegram. Uh, He's a born-again Jewish pastor in Israel. He is giving hundreds of updates a day telling you what's going on. Um, Spell it. A-M-I-R-T-S-A-R-F-A-T-I. Sarfati. It's funny because when uh, he hears his name read by Alexa or something, it's like, Amir Sofati. And he's like, A-M-I-R, Amir Sarfati, T-S-A-R-F-A-T-I. He's on Telegram. Uh, Also stay informed by reading your Bible. Don't get more of the news than you get of the word. You can actually get tomorrow's headlines today by reading the word. Because the Bible already tells us what's going to happen. So I said, stay prayerful, stay informed. Someone asked, how should I respond? This is, I'm telling you, stay prayerful, stay informed. The next one is stay loving. Stay loving. We know in the end of days that lawlessness is going to abound and the love of many will grow cold. We have no control over lawlessness. But we do have control over the love that we keep stirring in our hearts. Keep the love for others alive. Don't let the lawlessness that you see cause your love to grow cold. And then finally, stay encouraged. Stay encouraged. Every believer faces trials, hardships. You're going to be tested throughout this season, any season, every season. But stay encouraged. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, to look up, for your redemption draws nigh. Church, will you stand? If you're thinking about going to college, go to college. The world needs you. If you're thinking about having a baby, and you're married, have a baby or get married. If you're, if you're thinking about losing weight, go to the gym. Don't wait for your new body. Do it today. Honor the body that God has given you. If you're thinking about getting out of debt, don't just pray that the rapture happens. So you can, don't keep racking up money. I know that's what you've all done. Jesus is coming anyway. Be found faithful to the end. Honor what God has given you. You still have a purpose, church. To the last breath that you breathe, you have a purpose. Whether Jesus is coming soon, sooner, or much, much later, you have a purpose. You and I have to be found faithful. We must continue to occupy. Because when the world gets its darkest, that's when the church is the brightest. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? I think I've answered all of your questions. If you've thought of more, feel free to email me. I love talking about this stuff. Catch me in the hall. Call me during the week. Text me, whatever. I want you to feel comfortable in understanding that the end times is God just proving to be God. God isn't going to sacrifice you to make his name great. He's going to elevate you. He's going to give you purpose. He's going to give you favor. God wants to, even in an economy that seems to be spiraling, spiraling down, God wants to give you prosperity and stability. So if you're here today, we've been talking about the end and Maybe you've not made Jesus the Lord of your life. That's step number one. That's how your future begins. Maybe you're watching online, weeks, months, years down the road. You're listening to this sermon and you thought, today's the day. Today's my day of salvation. Today is the day that I need to say yes to Jesus. Jesus came and he died on a cross for you. If it had only been for you, he still would have done it. So that you and I could be in relationship with our creator. So that our sins could be forgiven. Every sin. Every sin we've ever committed. Every sin we're ever going to commit. It is washed by the blood. And you're ready to say yes to Jesus. Will you just raise your hand. No one's looking around. I just need to know who I'm praying for. You're ready to say yes to Jesus. Raise your hand. So I know who I'm praying for this morning. And if you're watching... Online, you're ready to say yes to Jesus, just do something, make a, a step of faith today. Put your hand on your heart, raise your hand, take a sip of your coffee, whatever it is. Just let, let your body reflect the fact that you're saying yes to Jesus today. Church, can we pray this prayer? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. That he was placed in the grave and rose again on day three. I surrender to you today, God. I put my life in your hands. From this moment forward, my life will never be the same. In Jesus' name. If you just said yes to Jesus for the very first time, I want you to scan the QR code that's on the screen. It's also available at the information desk. If you're watching online and said yes to Jesus, we would love to hear from you as well. So please scan that QR code. Church, can we celebrate the decisions for Jesus today? Awesome. In two weeks, we have baptisms. Baptisms on the 29th of October. So anyone that needs baptism, please sign up for that. It's on Sunday at 3 p.m. Is it 3 p.m.? 3.30 p.m. Baptisms at 3.30. Also, this Wednesday, I'll see you at Team Night if you're a volunteer on Team Exchange, 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. God bless you. We love you. Have a good night.